I'm all for consulting the experts to learn more about how to be more present, more mindful, more anything that I want to be in my life. They have research and strategies that contribute to making us healthy, wealthy, and wise human beings. But sometimes it helps to absorb lessons from experts that don't have a single book, podcast, blog, or Facebook page to their name. Our question this episode. What do our pets have to teach us about being better communicators? Welcome to episode 25 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host, Beth Bilo, and thank you so much for joining me. This episode is a little different than the others. It's a reflection on the communication and relationship lessons we can glean from our four-legged family members. While I'm using animals to illustrate my points, my goal is to take that information and translate it into tips on how to have better communication with our fellow human beings. I frequently find myself observing my pets and seeing lessons and patterns in their behavior. A few years ago, I did an entire presentation on networking tips from Ginger, my rather introverted dog. While it felt a bit, I don't know, maybe juvenile to look to my dog for guidance on how to navigate very real-world, people-centric situations, I decided that wisdom comes from unexpected places if we open our minds. I did stop short of including networking tips from my dog in my book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, although I wonder now if that bit of self-censorship wasn't really necessary. This idea of learning from our furry friends came up again this week as I went through the roller coaster of emotions involved in saying goodbye to one pet and welcoming another. Watching the shifting dynamics in our home has reminded me of a few basic principles of healthy communication and relationships. I'm going to share six of those lessons in this episode. And if you want some visuals to go along with the story, visit howcanisaythis.com to meet Lucy, Ginger, and Molly. Here's a little backstory. On President's Day, we laid our sweet kitty Lucy to rest. She was about 14 years old, and she'd lived with us for about nine years. And she'd been living with progressive renal failure for about a year. We did everything we could to control her disease, to keep her comfortable and happy and loved. Except for obvious weight loss, outwardly, she was her chatty, lovey-dovey Lucy self. Towards the end of 2018, we sensed that the end was going to come sooner rather than later, and we decided that we'd rather say goodbye a little too soon rather than wait and feel bad because it was too late. By mid-February, we could tell that she was getting tired and that her physical body was becoming a burden. Lucy started to be less and less Lucy. We listened carefully to her, trying to set aside our own grief at the prospect of her dying. It wasn't easy, and it was profoundly sad. I tried to embrace the process and see it as an honor to be witness and caregiver to her in her final days. It ripped my heart out. And finally, the weekend before President's Day, we knew it was time. Lucy made it clear that she needed to move on. So we gave her lots of love, told her that she was going to be okay, and that she'd always be with us. And then we laid her peacefully to rest. This brings me to the first communication lesson that I want to share. Listen to what others are telling you, even if you don't want to hear it. We can miss signals that they send and the words they say when we're attached to a different outcome or simply don't want to acknowledge reality. 
In this case, the acknowledgement and outcome that Lucy was going to die soon was one we didn't want. And it's the same with people. We know if we talk about what's happening, it becomes real. For the person who's experiencing the pain, it's already very real. And by not talking about it, we are denying them the chance to process through their feelings, share what they're going through, and get the support they need during a tough time. This isn't only true when someone is ill or dying. It's also true whenever we're going through a challenging time with another person. Divorce, job changes, moving, and the like. Yes, talking about it makes it more real, and not talking about it, ignoring it or dismissing it or putting it off for another day, doesn't make it any less real and only makes it exponentially more painful. I spent Lucy's final day and the next two days in a state of longing, grief, and with a staggering headache. That's when I learned my second communication lesson— authenticity and honesty. I was on a professional call early Thursday afternoon, and a new colleague, Kathy, whom I don't know very well yet, asked me how my week had been. It only took me a split second to decide to be honest. I told her about saying goodbye to Lucy and how my heart was feeling broken, but I was hanging in there. She was gracious and kind and let me know how sorry she was to hear it. Sharing this with Kathy served a few purposes— It helped me, as we call it in coaching, clear the space so that I could be more fully present for the call. Having told her what was distracting me helped me set it aside a bit for the next hour. It was also an authentic response and therefore led to a stronger connection between me and my colleague. I could have responded to her query with the generic and acceptable, I'm doing fine, how are you? There are definitely times when that's exactly what you should say. You might feel too emotionally vulnerable to share, or you might not feel safe with the other person, or it just might not be the appropriate time and place. That said, we often default to, I'm fine, even when it's safe, when we have time, it's the right place, and we know that the other person genuinely cares. When we do that, we deny an opportunity for connection, and we deny the other person an opportunity to give us the gift of being witnessed in our time of need. Since I shared with Kathy, she gave me the gift of her sympathy and compassion, and I was able to shift gears and do the call. But the gift wasn't over yet. She contacted me later that afternoon to say that she'd seen a post on Facebook that a friend of a friend had unexpectedly died and left behind an adult cat, Molly, who needed a home. Kathy mentioned that she hoped she wasn't being insensitive in sharing the information so quickly after Lucy had died, but I assured her it was fine. I made a series of phone calls and arranged to meet Molly the next day in Kalamazoo, which is about 90 minutes from where I live. Less than 24 hours later, Molly was in her carrier, in the car, coming home with me and Ginger, the dog. If I had not opened up to Kathy, I wouldn't have met Molly. It's further evidence of the benefits of vulnerability and sharing what's really going on, instead of keeping it all to yourself. It can feel risky when it's something bigger than the death of a pet, but it's always worth checking in with yourself to see if that risk is real or perceived, and if the benefit of sharing outweighs the benefit of keeping something to yourself. Here are communication and relationship lessons three through six that I've been reminded of over the past week of observing Molly. Lessons three and four. If we want to connect with someone, it's important to meet them where they're at, and to speak their language. 
Molly had lived alone with her human and was traumatized by her owner's death and the subsequent break in routines that followed. When I went into the apartment where she was, it took us about 10 minutes to find her in her hiding spot. Of course, our first instinct was to call her by name and to make that little sound, you know, that we use when calling cats. She didn't respond. Once we found her under a small table behind some boxes, I switched to speaking her language. I started meowing. That was what brought her out. Of course, she ran out and into another room to hide, but at least that brought her out and told her, hey, I'm a safe person. Once she felt okay enough to be out in the open, I talked to her some more. That is, I meowed at her some more. That's when she let me approach her and start petting her. She talked back, and we had a little conversation. A very short while later, she was in her carrier, in my car, and I was taking her to her new home. What I did with Molly is one example of what we can do with each other when we are in unfamiliar conversational territory. Take time to notice what the other person appears to be experiencing. Of course, we can't read their minds, but we can generalize whether they are happy or fearful, outgoing or reserved. We can take some clues from the environment and then meet them where they're at. If the other person is quieter or more withdrawn, which can happen in moments of conflict or stress, then check with any impulse to be upbeat and chipper in the spirit of showing how friendly you are. Give them space by mirroring their mood and their energy a bit. Consider what they want to hear most rather than what you want to tell them. Think about the language they speak. Do they talk in terms of emotions and feelings or data and facts? Do they need to process their thoughts out loud or do they need to think quietly and take their time? Do they respond to things intuitively or logically? Use what you know about them to guide how you communicate. Lesson five, recognize when someone else is going through changes and give them lots of space. When Molly came into the house, she immediately looked for places to hide. Of course, it was stressful coming into a new house with new people. And to make matters worse, of course, there was Ginger, the D-O-G. <laughs> I closed off some of the rooms and gave her a smaller area to explore at first. She eventually discovered my attic-level home office, and that's where she spent the majority of her time over the next two days. I didn't want to force her to be social with us. I wanted her to know that she was free to be alone, even though we really wanted her to come and hang out with us. On the third night, I decided to close off a few rooms that included where we watch TV and to bring her in with us so that she could get used to our voices and noises and presence. Again, we let her roam around and explore without forcing her to stay close to us. That night was the first time she jumped into the bed with us, which felt like huge progress. The next evening, she joined us on the couch as we read. And now she's still escaping to my office when she wants space, but she's more likely to just pop up in the room we're in without us calling to her. I find myself ridiculously pleased when she comes to me for affection and conversation instead of me seeking her out. Sometimes when things are relatively static for us, but big changes are happening for someone else, we can forget that it's stressful for them. We might be going through a few shifts ourselves, but compared to the other person's experience, our changes are minor. It's important to be compassionate and patient with them as they adjust to the new reality. If possible, introduce the changes and stages with transition periods that allow for acclimation. 
If you can't do that, find a way to create boundaries around the pieces of the change, like we did with closing off rooms, so that it's a bit less overwhelming to explore and to find their way in their new reality. And of course, in all of that, I'm talking about people as well as animals. My sixth and final lesson is an echo from a past lesson. When something hasn't gone as expected, but we survive with no harm done, let it go. Holding on to our irritation or letting it ruin our mood is a waste of time and energy. It's not a new idea, but it took watching Lucy and then Molly to really bring it home. At the end of December 2017, we were packing up to move from Tacoma, Washington to Muskegon, Michigan. There was a lot of chaos, and our routines were virtually non-existent. Overall, Ginger and Lucy were handling it pretty well, but I could tell Lucy was not happy with all of the disruptions. It came to a head the night we finally left our apartment for the last time to spend the night in a hotel before hitting the road for Michigan the next morning. Lucy yowled on the way to the hotel and let us know how very displeased she was. Once we got to our room, let her out and set her up with food, water, and a litter box, she was fine. It was as if nothing had ever happened. I remarked to my husband, "She's going to be mad at us for a while." He then said the wisest thing, "No, she's fine. She's already forgotten. She's in the moment, and at the moment, all is well." And I thought, "Wow, why can't people be like that? Why can't we let go of hurt once the moment has passed?" I'm not referring to traumatic situations or patterns of abuse or bad behavior. I am talking about some of the everyday dings that we take from one another, whether it's your friend being late for your coffee date, someone interrupting your nap, or even having a disagreement with a colleague. Those situations are often resolved in the moment, and even if they're not, they're rarely consequential or need to carry a high emotional charge past the moment in which they happen. It makes me think of one time very early in our marriage when I was picking up my husband from work, and he was about ten minutes late in meeting me. This was pre-texting and cell phones, so all I could do was sit in the car and stew, annoyed that he didn't seem to respect my time. When he finally got into the car, he apologized before I could even say anything. He knew that I was annoyed and acknowledged that fact. I realized in that moment there was no point in getting mad or even saying anything more than something like, "Yes, I was annoyed, but I appreciate your apology." There was no point in saying much more than that because we were on the same page. I was able to let go of my irritation. He knew he wasn't in the doghouse, and we were able to get on with our evening. We expressed ourselves in the moment, resolved it, then let it go, very much as Lucy would teach us twenty years later in that hotel room. The lesson was reinforced again with Molly and her vet visit this week. I thought, oh, putting her back in the carrier and taking her into a strange place with strange sounds and smells, where they're going to stick needles in her and poke around on her. I might as well kiss all that trust that we've established over the past week goodbye. And it's true, she was not happy. This is how she told me. But within two minutes of getting back home, it was like it had never happened. She was just fine. She had told me she was mad, and once the situation was resolved, she let it go. What would it be like if we could do that? Forgive and forget, as they say. Some situations may take more healing and not be so easily resolved, but we often suffer from a thousand little cuts 
that we refuse to let heal because we choose to hold a grudge or let our irritation, even though we're not any longer in that stressful situation, spill over into the rest of our day. Before I offer some closing thoughts and your call to action, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at HowCanIsayThis.com, again, to take a look at Ginger, Lucy, and Molly. From there, you can also access past episodes, subscribe, or offer feedback. You'll also find information about leaving a review for this show. It only takes a few minutes, and by taking that tiny extra step, you're helping others find the podcast and benefit from it. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building, and I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at HowCanIsayThis.com. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to be responding to questions about heavily perfumed coworkers and disrespectful workout buddies, among other topics. If it has to do with sticky communication situations, send your questions our way. In closing, let me summarize the six lessons I shared. One, even if a reality is difficult, talk about it. Not talking about it doesn't make the situation less real. It only makes it more painful. Two, go beyond, I'm fine, and allow yourself to share your truth whenever possible. Take a few more risks. Three, When there's conflict or stress, meet the other person where they're at and try to reflect their energy. Four, make an effort to speak their language. Try to figure out what's important to them rather than only focusing on what you want to say. Five, recognize when someone else is going through changes and give them lots of space. Just because you're fine doesn't mean that they are. And finally, six, Once an irritation or disruption has passed and been resolved, let it go. Move on. It's a waste of energy otherwise. Once you've taken the metaphorical pebble out of your shoe, enjoy walking pain-free instead of going around with residual phantom irritation. And in case you're wondering, Molly and Ginger are getting along just fine. They've settled into their own communication pattern that includes Ginger being deferential to Molly when she's in the room, and Ginger expressing mild distress when she hears Molly eating food that she thinks she should be having. Ginger, too, is demonstrating present-moment living, and as long as her basic needs of food, water, shelter, exercise, and love are met, she can release her initial confusion and trust us that everything is A-OK. As for your call to action, stretch your observation skills and notice what the animals around you have to say. How do your pets communicate to you or to one another? What do you notice when you meet a new animal about how to best connect with them to make them feel safe? What works and what doesn't? And how do those strategies apply to people? If you don't have much contact with animals, and please do not take what I'm about to say the wrong way, then try watching children. They share the traits of being more present in the moment and more transparent about how they feel or what they're thinking. They're not always modeling adult-appropriate behavior, of course, but there is something to be gained by noticing, for instance, that a young child can go from happy to crying to happy again in two minutes flat because they don't hold on to whatever hurt them once they feel safe and taken care of. Remember, there is wisdom everywhere if we are open to it. 
This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Thank you.